Welcome to Elixir Wizards, a podcast brought to you by SmartLogic, a custom web and mobile development shop based in Baltimore. My name is Owen Bickford, and I'll be your host. I'm joined by my co-host, Dan Ivovich. Hi, Dan. Hello. This season's theme is Elixir in a Polyglot Environment, where we talk about how Elixir works with other languages. Today, we're joined by our special guest, Nathan Retta from DoorDash. Hey, Nathan. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. Where are you calling from? I am calling from the suburbs of Denver, Colorado. Denver, okay. So you're going to have some Elixir people in your neighborhood within just a couple months. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We've got the Elixir meetup that's been going on for some time. It's it's actually nice that the meetups are coming back in person. I remember the first meetup that I went to was, I want to say back in 2019 or so. At that time, the meetups were near Union Station at the Triangle Building. And then, of course, we had the pandemic for a couple of years, nothing happening. So it's good to see that everybody's doing that again. Cool. Are you planning on driving over to the ElixirConf? Do you have any interest in that? I have an interest. I have not looked at the tickets, but I need to do that. All right. You might be able to, I think they're still available. So yeah, hopefully to like, if I make it out to uh, Denver for the conference, hopefully we'll be able to meet in person. Quick backstory here. I actually met Nathan at the Denver Erling Elixir virtual meetup. I think back in February, does that sound right? Yeah. Okay. And what brought you to that meetup? Because I don't think you typically work with Elixir, right? No, no. I do a bit of Elixir for personal projects when I'm trying to go fast and it's been purely for backend. I flirted with the Elixir nerves project, but I've since used Rust with most of the hardware stuff that I'm doing. And then of course, every day I'm working with Android and primarily in Kotlin. So yeah, Elixir for backend. Cool. So side projects with Elixir, what what kind of side projects are we talking about? Well, My wife is an occupational therapist, and we had an idea for a therapy assignment software. And so I ended up writing a POC with Elixir and Ecto, and then another POC with Kotlin for a backend. And then since most of the complexity for me has been, is actually creating UI for desktop, and that's what I'm working on, and I've kind of sidelined the backend piece of it. But yeah, that's really what I like Elixir for. Since I work every day in Kotlin, it's a bit more fun for me to work in Elixir as well. I also liked Ruby on Rails previously. Mm. Are you saying Elixir is more fun than Kotlin? Is that what I heard? (laughs) I personally do like Elixir a little bit better than Kotlin, but it's hard to say why. I think it's because I'd spend every day in Kotlin. I Mm. like it less than Rust, though. I think I like Rust quite a bit. It's just that I can't ignore my development speed is just so much higher with Elixir than it would be with Rust, where I'm actually fighting the borrow checker at times, and then just the pace of development's a little bit slower. Gotcha. Uh, But you get excellent performance out of Rust. Kotlin is very pleasant language. If I had to pick the thing that I dislike about Elixir, it would say the lack of a type system. I started looking at Gleam, and it looks like that that project's kind of a bit newer, but I'm assuming it'll be there in a couple of years and some sort of type safety will be present, especially in the domain layer for the way I happen to program. I found that I rely heavily on a type system. I know. I, I've been seeing on Twitter, there's ElixirConf EU, and I think the keynote, Jose, had a bit of uh, some slides about types and looking forward to like reading more in depth about what was going on there. And Dan was actually responsible for the idea of Elixir in a polyglot environment. So I think this is the first time we're hearing about 
anyone who's worked with Kotlin. Dan, what stands out to you about uh, what you're hearing from Nathan here? I think Nathan's got the longest list of languages that we're working with here compared to some of our previous guests. I also think hearing comparison, where am I fast? Where am I type safe? Where am I doing my day-to-day is really interesting. Curious, just given your experience across so many languages, do you see learnings from one influencing how you use another? Yeah, I would say functional programming in general has been just improved overall having experience with Elixir. That impacts the code that I write in Kotlin and I try to write more functionally. I do value the type system quite a bit, I've learned, or that's the thing that I feel that I miss with Elixir. And unit testing just becomes more important with Elixir than it would be in like similar code in Kotlin, at least from my perspective. I'm also not a full-time back engineer. I'm mostly a front-end mobile engineer and that I do stuff with Android hardware as well. So I'm, I am curious a little bit about what it's like working full-time in Elixir with highly concurrent scalable uh, backends since I haven't had that experience. I've only written small things. Cool. Yeah, I think you're our first guest, at least in a while, that is primarily like a native mobile developer and then kind of with some interest in Elixir. So you're kind of bringing a different perspective, which is it's always great to have on the podcast. On that note, what are some different concerns you think that you face as a native app developer versus the web development that I'm more commonly doing? Web development, one thing that I'll, I'll say is that if you can target the browser and not have to deal with mobile apps, you should do so. It's just way easier and the browser has less complexity than all the different things that can happen on mobile devices. My web experience has really been limited to React. So writing React components with JSX that map down to native views is something that you can do with mobile apps. You can use the React Native project and in leverage the some of the React code that you write on web to create native mobile apps. And I think that's something that is really big out there. But for the big companies like DoorDash, Meta, Google, where native apps are really the king, can't really work with some of those cross-platform things that allow you to go really fast. Right. And you mentioned DoorDash. So you work at DoorDash. Is there some Elixir kind of underneath the hood there somewhere? None that I know of. We tend to be a pretty heavy Kotlin shop here. We have a lot of Python. There's a legacy Django backend that they're tearing apart into microservices as they go along. That was a, a legacy Django monolith. We do have a bit of a lot of Python as well with data science and machine learning. So I don't think we have any Elixir, but I also would have to go search for it. We have a lot of microservices and I'm not familiar with them. So I'm sure we have a lot of languages under the hood that I'm not aware of. I think that's something we continue to see across the season is if you're microserviced, you have a much higher probability of having a mixture of languages in your stack and each team right. kind of picking what they're best at. Yeah, I've only done Elixir, like a monolith style. And I, I really think that the combination of Elixir and Flutter, I think brings a new pace to development. You can do full stack Kotlin and write Kotlin JVM backend services and a Kotlin frontend and use utilize Kotlin multi-platform. But I think if I was to pick right now, if I had to get to market as fast as I could on both platforms, I would probably go with Elixir and Flutter, but just for mobile apps. And then if web was going to be a, a big thing, I think React Native might be a substitute as long as you can do a good job of sharing some of the components with React Web and React Native. I think that's... But that uh, gets to be a little bit weird. As a challenge. Dan, Sunday's going to be so mad. 
<laughs> She's not in this flutter conversation. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll talk up the flutter side. Okay, I agree. For building something quickly, yeah, and something good and fast and that works generally across the devices that we need to support out the gate on something. We've had a lot of positive experience using Flutter and we've done Flutter with our Elixir backends and we build fast APIs with the the web views that we need to kind of administer the system and the Flutter stuff has been great. So I I, I actually don't have any experience with Kotlin. My Android experience is pre-Kotlin. So I've written a lot of Java in my life, not a whole lot recently, but have not had an opportunity. Well, if you write Kotlin, you probably don't want to go back to Java as much. That's what I've heard. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of things made me not want to go back to Java. So I'll just tack another one on that list. Is there like a a nutshell version? What's the difference between Java and Kotlin? Is there like a high level overview of like how they approach things differently? Verbosity is big. Null safety is big an equivalent Kotlin file or a Kotlin file that you would write would, this is pre Java introduced the record class after facing pressure from Kotlin's existence with data classes. They've started to make Java a little bit more developer friendly, but Kotlin is faster to write in, in my experience, having written both Java apps or Java Android apps and Kotlin Android apps. There is interops, so you're not forced to completely trash all of your Java code. You can incrementally adopt Kotlin. And then because they're both targeting the JVM and the bytecode is similar, you can enjoy all the type safety and the pace of development with few downsides, in my opinion. Cool. I did watch your talk that you gave. Was that at a virtual conference or like a meetup for the Kotlin full stack? Kotlin multi-platform. Multi-platform, yeah. Yeah, that's at a like a meetup group called Tech Confluence that we have in Denver. It was a small audience, but I have done two Kotlin multi-platform talks and I have built some Kotlin multi-platform apps. I still do like building iOS apps natively with Xcode and Swift. I do think that Kotlin multi-platform, I've seen that it's growing and it's used at a number of companies. I've seen Autodesk is one here in Denver that started to use Kotlin multi-platform quite a bit and also Quizlet. But I think the vast majority of apps that just need to be out the door for the, the for the smaller indie developer, I'm still, I think Flutter is really, really strong there. It's it's the fastest out of, as far as dev time that I've seen. Okay. And I, I saw some mention of concurrency in Kotlin. Is this something that's kind of evolving or is the is it kind of settled on a robust concurrency model? Kotlin concurrency is coroutine based. You can write, if you're targeting Android or other JVM, any JVM app, you would probably use, be using the same patterns that existed with red pools and shared mutability. You can use mutexes in order to lock and have some level of safety when you're sharing data across threads. But it's less, you don't get that out of the box. You have to work for some of that safety. Whereas with Elixir, I feel like with the actor model, and I think with Swift now supporting actors, and the message passing and all the safety you have with only allowing the actor to mutate its state. It's just a better pattern that I like. I think Kotlin native exposed some of those bad things to the engineers. Tap to deal with the concurrency at a granular level was very different for a lot of the people coming from JVM backgrounds. And I myself felt a lot of that pain with freezing objects and some of the things that can happen. But this is a bit of a rabbit hole to be talking about the Kotlin (laughs) <laughs> uh, memory model. They did improve it. Now it's a bit more ergonomic for the developer. It mm-hmm. doesn't operate in the same way as it did before. I think you have to opt into 
version 1.6 or later. I think I would have to go back and look at that. But if you do write Kotlin multi-platform code now, you can use the new memory model for native. So when you target iOS or LLVM in general, you use the more ergonomic memory model. Nice. That's This is the first time hearing that Swift has actors as a concurrency model. So that's yeah, really interesting. Yeah, there's a whole talk from Chris Latner about how they decided to do this. Some, some of the things that you're doing in Elixir actually now becoming more common on the outside. But when I write Elixir, I don't feel like I get exposed to it directly as much either. It feels very easy to work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got really solid abstractions. It's interesting, I'm listening to you to speak and you know, thinking about all the all the different types of concurrency I've done in my career and memory models. And it's like, we're getting to a point where the distinction between these things is just starting to get really blurry, right? Like Kotlin to Java to JVM to LLVM to Swift to iOS. It's like we keep finding ways to leverage existing tools and existing platforms. And I don't know, I'm just kind of sitting here a little blown away by if someone had gone early in my career and said, hey, eventually a lot of, like, a lot of this stuff's going to work together in like weird ways. We're all learned from each other. I mean, like, I guess it makes sense in retrospect, but I don't know that I would have believed it. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm actually curious how Elixir is once you actually get to the scale that I've seen WhatsApp and Discord and others do. That's not really, as an indie developer, I don't really, I can't say that I'll ever experience that scale. Uh, I think when you're looking at that level, BM. everyone's scale is a little unique in its own ways. Um, yeah. That's probably why we have a partition supervisor now <laughs> for that exact scaling yeah, concern. I think it's funny as as we've seen things scale and we've you hand off an Elixir app to be Dockerized in Kubernetes or, or what have you. Sometimes the ops teams don't necessarily understand. Oh, this thing's going to just consume all the CPU, and it doesn't mean that it's constrained, right? It's like, well, hey, why is this using almost no memory and a ton of CPU? It's like, well, because that's what it wants to do. Like, that's okay, right? And like the types of machines you want to add to your cluster, this, how you want to scale horizontally, vertically, all these different pieces. I have found that. With our Elixir apps, we have to think about it differently than how we thought about it with our Ruby apps. On the Ruby side, it was generally garbage collection, memory, and throughput would bottle before like anything else. And on the Elixir side, I find that it's like, well, if we throw more processing power at it, more of our processes will run and things will be faster. But even that, the throughput you can get off of a small machine is just downright impressive with Elixir. And I mean, all thanks to Erlang. Yeah, I'm really hoping that Gleam becomes something bigger than it is now so that I can feel a little bit safer with the way I do things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and Owen, you've done a lot with, I don't know about specs, but like proto- or I'm trying to think, what, what have you been using a lot protocols, of? Protocols, behaviors. Yeah, protocols and behaviors, and specifically, yeah. you were using something to validate structs, like struct. Oh, yeah, for the project. Yeah. Well, so I'm using Norm. That's it, Norm. So Norm uses kind of like chain sets, and I think you could maybe choose one or the other and be okay. For the API that I was trying to validate against, Norm gives me a runtime validation. So I could theoretically digest a dynamic meta structure from an API and then build a format of that and then have validations that are not hard-coded in the app code. So yeah, Norm's really helpful for that. And that's kind of a one way of providing some type safety without an actual type system. And you can get fairly granular with that. Now, I was just realizing we went straight into the deep end, <laughs> talking about oh. memory management, uh, concurrency. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. I think we're standing on the diving board and just jumping in. So I want to step back a little bit. What kind of got you into programming? Was this something you were interested in from childhood or is it more of a later in life kind of 
endeavor? I would say a bit later on. So my degree is in chemical engineering. I worked in oil and gas automation for six years and power industries. So valves and programmable logic controllers and that sort of thing. And then I wrote an Android app back in 2016 and then decided to become a mobile developer after that. And so I've been doing Android since late 2016 timeframe. I've done iOS as well and a bit of some other things. But I would say hardware is kind of what I'm interested in for the most part. That's cool. Like, just being honest, when I decided I was going to be a developer, this was like 2010, 2011. And so you could just start to see videos about how to write code on YouTube. And I found one that was like, how to develop an Android app the easy way, or it's easy or something. And then I knew nothing, didn't even have the vocabulary to understand what strings were and like everything, like, you know, everything you know about Java and how complex it is. And it was just too much. So it took me probably another five or six years before I was kind of ready to like jump back in again and kind of started with JavaScript. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, I do a bit of JavaScript, but it's really only with React web development stuff. So I will say back... 2016, Android was just very different. It was a little bit more difficult to work your way around the operating system, and it was less dev-friendly than it is today. I'm also noticing documentation is really good today. Just at the beginning of this year, they started offering Rust support for Android and created some documentation around that. And I'll say that since the beginning of this year, I've been leaning into the Rust Android stuff a bit more with foreign function interfaces, they're called. Um, to do some low-level Android stuff. It's been pretty fun. That sounds really great. The the Gleam syntax actually reminds me a bit of Rust, like the way that it looks sometimes. And you, you Is that person going to be at the Denver conference? <laughs> uh, Louis know? Pilfold, I think, if I'm pronouncing it right, is the creator of Gleam. I don't know if he's... He could be at the Elixir Conf. We'll have to check on that. Oh. Well, shout out to the audience. Yeah, just give knows, <laughs> tweet, tweet, tweet at us. Let us know. Right. Nathan needs a minute. Yeah. I think maybe it's just me as a developer, but and not being a strong unit tester, I think unit testing is a little bit more important with the dynamic typing that it is in, in a language like Kotlin. I think that from my standpoint, you know, coming kind of up through learning Ruby through Rails, testing was like such a focus of how you build a Rails application and such a focus of how we build Phoenix applications and Elixir. And so I think it is it is interesting. There's like a, a really strong foundation in those very productive, very scalable. Well, now that Rails can scale, you know, joke back to 2010 or whatever. But that is core to it because you you don't have the type system, right, to, to rely on necessarily. And yeah, I, when I did work in typed languages, I don't remember a focus from any forces really, the community or management or education that was like so heavy on testing. Like I feel like the push is heavy on testing in the dynamic language communities as they exist today. Yeah, you went from an object-oriented language as well with Ruby to a functional one. Yes. It's a journey that I've been on as well. It's, it's so great. I love it. It's funny, like I've come up as a functional developer. So on the occasion that I need to interact with some like highly object-oriented code, like traits and everything, it really slows me down. I have to kind of grasp how everything works again. So it's, yeah, I'm living it up in functional land and enjoying my time with Elixir especially. It is pleasant. Kotlin yeah. is multi-paradigm. It's like a lot of languages are. Mm-hmm. They'll let you do what you want. But I think a pure functional language is a little bit better for my developer happiness. I do like working in Elixir. It's just that I don't have 
many opportunities to do that. I am curious if anybody's work with the Nerves Project. I have seen a bit of content on YouTube from that. A little bit. When I went to ElixirConf in November, they had, like the day before the conference started, they had a NervesConf. And of course, on the podcast, you can't see it, but one of the little take-home goodies, like we did kind of like a workshop led by John Carsons. And so this is a Raspberry Pi Zero wireless. It's got a little scroll hat mini, which is like a kind of like a pie hat. And so it's LEDs and you can control messages through the LEDs. And what was really cool, there's so many cool things to talk about, but the coolest part was that these were all pre-flashed with nerves and pre-configured to connect to the network. So whenever he wanted to push an update, he pushed the update from his laptop and it landed on all of the Raspberry Pi devices within a minute or two. And everyone was seeing like new animations and stuff. And that was really cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. The, yeah. the ecosystem for kind of like firmware management on the nerve side is is fantastic. And the developer experience of editing and pushing to the device, they've really created in the kind of embedded space what you're used to as a web developer of like very close to instant feedback on what you're working on. It's a lot of fun. I actually wasn't necessarily familiar that there's some rust work going on on the embedded side. What is that kind of like from your perspective and what why why that over using nerves? What, what's that platform like? Rust for Android, I would say the old stuff was written in C++. So really the transition is from with Android writing code that use the Java native interface to go to a C, through a Java native interface bridge to C++ and then writing writing C++ code. Sometimes you, depending on the complexity of what you're doing and then how, as far as memory safety, what sort of task that you're planning on running with C++, you could run into some sort of memory issues that are just eliminated from using Rust. I've had some experiences where I've written some some memory bugs into native Android app and have it crash and not know why, and then have to go back and that debugging process is really, really painful. I think that had mostly to do with my inexperience with C++ more so than anything wrong with the language, but the memory safety guarantees that Rust gives you are really powerful. I understand now the Bluetooth module has been rewritten in Rust in the Android project, and Google seems to be doing more of that, writing new Rust code rather than new C++ code. So those things are are all going on right now. Yeah, so I don't know about the iOS side though. It's so interesting to see what Google's doing and what they're not doing, you know, between Dart and Go and Rust and the things that they control versus the things they don't and how it's all kind of coming together in interesting ways. And I think it kind of from a polyglot standpoint, the whole point of this season, it really makes me think like the tool that the team needs, the, the one that'll empower them the best is the right one, right? And use what's gonna work for you. Use what you're excited about because you've got lots of options and the pros and cons. I think those lists are getting, you know, there's more and more overlap as I see all these languages mature and kind of learn from each other. I'm excited about it. Right. Even Elixir, like there's, I've been hearing about people deploying apps to iOS and Android built with Elixir using, I think, Elixir desktop or something. So it seems like the operating systems are getting more flexible about what language you can use to like build your apps. I say that as someone who's never deployed an app. So Yeah, that might be an interesting bridge for that code if it has mm-hmm. to be transpiled or, or how that goes to, to become an Android APK or an iOS app. I'm kind of curious, but I'll look up that after the call. Yeah, right. I would be surprised if it has something to do with like the efforts around WebAssembly because that seems to be a, a unifying approach for a lot of things. I have tried some Rust WebAssembly, oh, yeah? but it was a single page app, so it wasn't very exciting. Mm. 
Yeah, we'll post a link to the Elixir desktop. I think it's a package. It's, it's at least a repo in uh, GitHub. Yeah, it's on Hexdocs as well, or Hex. Yeah, so yeah, we'll post a link to that because that sounds interesting. It's like another way of kind of getting Elixir out into the world. And if you want concurrency within your application on the device, that opens up some interesting possibilities. Yeah, the mobile operating systems, for the most part, you know, you're having to deploy through App Store and Google Play. So you don't really control your own pipeline. So in any any situation where you can actually use the browser, it's going to be a little bit easier than having to deal with App Store and Google Play. There is an option to deploy directly onto, if you have a fleet of Android devices, then that deployment, you can start to own it a little bit more. And there are things that are available to make that a little bit easier. Something called Android Enterprise Management and other custom deployment types of third parties that will actually deploy handle all of your fleet management and deployment and updates and everything. So cool. I really, really favor the browser as a mobile engineer just because oh. I've been dealing with mobile operating systems for, for a while. Let's think back to like the late 90s when the browser was not a great operating system <laughs> and sometimes still isn't. But yes, there's a lot less variation than the mobile space and certainly than in the Android space. Right. Well, not even was the browser not as advanced, but if you're releasing stuff on a CD or a disc, it's got to be right. That version, like updates are going to take months or years to roll out. So now we've kind of gone all up and down the stack and <laughs> talked in depth about all the technology that we're using and excited about. I'm curious, just as a person, like what other kind of like hobbies are you into? Have you read any interesting books or seen any interesting movies lately or kind of round out the conversation mm. here with who is Nathan Retta? I've got the Rust for Restation books on my desk here. Outside of programming interests, I've been skateboarding most of my life. I do that quite a bit. The pool's open in our neighborhood, so I take my kids to the pool all the time now. It's kind of not not that exciting, but that's what I've been up to. I haven't been swimming in maybe a decade now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, it's been a decade since I've been in a swimming pool, so now I'm jealous. <laughs> You're in Detroit, right? I'm in Michigan, yeah, right outside of Detroit. So okay. swimming pools are a little bit more rare up here than they were when I lived in Texas. So yeah, I could probably go into like a YMCA or something and, and find a pool, but Yeah, this yeah. is just an outdoor pool with tons of kids running around in the suburbs of Denver. Right. I will look into that conference. I haven't, for some reason, I must have missed the end that was happening. But if it's in my backyard, I know there was recently one in back in May in Salt Lake City. It's a shorter conference. Um, and I missed that one. This year, 2022, ElixirConf is August 30th through September 2nd. And yeah, they've got a call for proposals and training open currently. And I think the venue is not announced yet. There was a and, talk with Elixir Web, a Phoenix talk that was actually at Tech Confluence recently that I watched. I didn't know how many people were actually using that. Is it growing quite a bit? Is Phoenix becoming a bit more popular these days? I think so. We've seen in the six-ish, six or seven years that we've been using it as a company. Every year, the conferences get a little bigger. The companies involved get a little bigger. I think it's a more common choice for sure for a lot of startups or even established companies looking to kind of pull in something with some, some really great benefits for developer productivity, performance, et cetera. And so we continue to build out things for it. And you know, our clients either don't have a strong preference or kind of want what we think is best. And from our standpoint, from a productivity and maintenance and scalability and everything standpoint, it's been a fantastic move. One of my coworkers at a previous company went over to Blinker, and I believe they're using Phoenix on the front end and hosting the meetups for Elixir now. I haven't gone to an in-person meetup yet in a long time for that meetup, so I'm hoping that 
I can catch the next one. Right on. Sounds good. If you don't make it to a local meetup, the conference is going to be at the Gaylord Rockies in Aurora. So sounds like a really nice venue and okay. looking forward to being there. Fingers crossed. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you for joining us, Nathan. Any final plugs or ask for the audience? Tell us where we can find you on social media if we want to hit you up. Well, I'm not too active on social media, but I have a Twitter handle, Nathan Retta. I would say that would be the best way to get at me or on LinkedIn as well, Nathan Retta. That's it for today's episode of Elixir Wizards. Thanks again to our guest, Nathan Retta, for joining us. I'm Owen Bickford, and my co-host today was Dan Ivovich. Elixir Wizards is produced by Hangar Studios and is brought to you by SmartLogic. Here at SmartLogic, we build custom web and mobile software. We work in Elixir, Rails, React, Flutter, and more. Need a piece of custom software built? Hit us up. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. Your reviews help us reach new listeners. You can find us on Twitter at SmartLogic or join the Elixir Wizards Discord. The link is on the podcast page. And we will see you next week for more on Elixir and a polyglot environment. <laughs>